Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream and you can holler. Hi, folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated it always on my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, in my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI, also known as my personal mobile studio. Today is Thursday, March the 19th, and this is episode 162 of the Survival Podcast. 162 times now, friends, we've gotten together to discuss the fate of our nation, the fate of our world. And what we can do about the things around us that are done by man's malice, man's incompetence, or simply are acts of nature slash God. And that's what we have to remember, that everything that can go wrong is not somebody's fault. Sometimes things just go wrong. Sometimes a giant wave comes out of the ocean and takes out a seaboard town. Sometimes an earthquake rips a city in half. Sometimes a volcano erupts. That just happened uh, yesterday in Tonga. A giant volcano erupted, but it was a volcano that people were smart enough not to live on, and it didn't really harm anybody. But you get my point. It's something that I just want to occasionally pause for a second and remind you of. Just because something goes wrong doesn't mean that somebody's to blame. And even when there is somebody to blame, if the person to blame is not conveniently available for the blame, we tend to look for someone that's convenient to blame. And then we blame them for something they didn't do. And what am I talking about here? Well, this is a real brief aside. This is not what today's show is about. Yesterday I talked about a whole bunch of things, and a big part of the show was dedicated to these AIG bonuses that the media keeps telling you about. And what I suggested that you do yesterday was that if you hear some moron on TV talking about these things any more time, turn it off. Change the channel, turn the TV off, change the radio station. Whenever you hear AIG bonuses, just turn it the hell off because this is being used like the magician waving his hand around while his left hand is palming the coin that's that's all this is this is complete nonsense and yesterday they pull this guy Edward Libby in front of Congress and the congressmen rake him over the coals they shout at him they yell at him in America like a bunch of Romans watching gladiators being killed by the lions after they won the, the gladiator goes in he wins he survives, and they say, screw it, we don't like him anymore. And they throw a bunch of lions in there to eat his ass, right? This is what was going on yesterday. Let's just pause for a second and ask why America is blaming Edward Libby. And I think it's probably an unfair coincidence that it sounds like Scooter Libby, right? And that Libby name is now negative in American minds. The, the, the American moon bat that watches the news and believes everything they hear, okay? And so Libby, oh, it must be bad. It's an evil name, right? Okay, let, let's look at the reality here. Edward Libby stepped in as the CEO of AIG after all this government money that they're still calling a bailout. And it's not a bailout. We bought their stock. 
We purchased ownership. The United States purchased 80% of the stock in AIG, and then they get to do, within certain regulatory things, anything they want with the money. That's how the free market works. So we started throwing that money at that company. This guy was asked to come out of retirement. He was done. He's a 67-year-old gentleman. Done. Has enough money to live the rest of his life in peace. Doesn't need this grief. Agreed to do it because he thought it needed to be done. His salary is a dollar a year. Let me say this again. The man has a salary of $1 a year. And the only reason he has a salary of $1 a year is the only way to make it legal. He can't be the CEO with a zero-sum salary. He has to be compensated in some form. So he's taken a dollar. A freaking dollar. And now these congressmen call this man up there and they insult him. And they degrade him. And they grill him. And they ask him for the names to make public the names of the executives to get these these, uh, bonuses. And what does he say to them? He says, you know what? A lot of these guys have already turned down their bonuses voluntarily. A lot of these guys took a 50% bonus. And the ones that did that pretty much aren't the guys getting a $6 million bonus. They're the guys getting, you know, a $6,000 bonus. And the guy that's getting a $6,000 bonus, he's some peon that doesn't really matter, that's not responsible for this crap in the first place, that's trying to feed his family the same way most Americans are, and he voluntarily took his bonus from six to three. And I'm not going to give you names. And, and did, did anybody in Congress hear this man? Didn't appear like it did. No, because this was their chance once again to grandstand and make a big deal out of things. Just like they did when they bought the baseball players in for steroids. Oh, we're going to rake these guys over the coal. And what did they ever do about it? What did, what did Congress ever do about the steroids with baseball? Nothing. You know what they're going to do about this? Nothing. All this is their moment to misdirect you. It's their moment to try to impress you. And they're they're for this. They're all for this because whenever you call your congressional clown or your senator and bitch about this, you know what they're going to say? Hey, we're going after them hard. We agree with you. They don't expect to get any phone calls from anybody saying, hey, why don't you let these guys alone? So maybe you want to call your clown. I don't know. And tell them, you know what? we got more important things to worry about than 1% of $170 billion that you guys pissed away. Why don't you guys find out what's going on with the other $169 billion, you know, $500 million, and then stop worrying about this $100 million crap. We would like to know what's going on with the rest of our money. What's the plan to resurrect this company? How's that going? When can we expect to see the return of investment that we've been promised? If so, great. Tell us. Stop raking these guys over the coal and mine the store. Don't worry about the the, the, uh, the 1% that represents salary. Worry about the 99% that represents risk. That's what we're worried about. Where's our $169 billion going? We'd kind of like that to come back into our economy at some point. I don't know. One man's opinion. We'll leave it at that because today's show has nothing to do with AIG. I, what I really want to talk to you today about is uh, HR 875 again. This is, uh, this is something that we need to put down. And I, I've done a little bit more research on it. And... I have a much more formulated opinion at this point of what this really is. The first thing I have to be honest with you, though, about is I have to tell you what it is and it's not. Because we cannot be credible in our community if we react to legislation sensationalistically and we act like something's like 
completely of the devil, and then it turns out that it's only some minor demon. Alright? And I'm not saying this is a minor demon, but I'm also saying this is not Satan reborn. And we need to understand the difference so that we don't so that we don't sound like loons. This is how the survival community gets the tinfoil hat label across the board when we overreact. And here's what I mean. I've read this bill not completely in its entirety now, but I've read most of it. I've read the synopsis of it, and I've read the excerpts that have people most upset. I understand the risks, and I don't like the bill, and I want to kill the bill. But I have to to be clear with you right now about some of the things that people are saying about this bill that just aren't in there. At least I don't see them. Now, if you do, you point it out to me, and I'll make a correction, and I'll explain um, where it really is, how it's really there. I'm going to pause. i got a sheriff uh, trying to squeeze between me and a truck. Come on over there, big guy. <laughs> All right, you always got to let the sheriff in, right? So anyway... Here's the big thing that I see going on. I see people saying that this bill is going to shut down the home gardener. That you won't be able to grow a tomato on your back porch without government interference any longer. I see absolutely nothing to indicate that that is the case. I don't see this as one bit bothering the home gardener at all. And I said that before when I talked about this, but I wasn't sure. Now I'm sure, at least I'm 99% on this, that there is nothing that's going to take away your backyard tomato garden or your pepper patch or anything like that. What this applies to is people running any type of commercial enterprise. And that is a problem because we need these small farms. We need these organic gardens out there. We need these people that are selling through farmers markets and things like that. Now it appears, it appears that the majority of the authority, the majority, not all, the majority of the authority within this bill already exists. It's already there, and it's already being enforced. What this does is consolidate that power from multiple agencies into a single agency. That in of itself bothers me. When you start consolidating power in government, you give increased government control, and you take away liberty. So I don't like the consolidation. I think most of the things that's, that's, that's being governed at the federal level here belongs to the states. So there's a state's rights issue as well. And when you start combining this power into a single agency, it makes it easier for the Fed to come in and extend its will against the state. So that's another reason I have a problem with this. It looks like, and I am not sure about this one, and anybody that's like a legal scholar can dig further into this, but it looks to me like if you sell to your neighbors, right, you just like sell, like if I wanted to like have my own little business, and uh, now that you're setting up a radar trap, good for him, I'm already past him. Anyway, um, if you sell, like if I were to just go to my next door neighbor with a bag of tomatoes and say, I'll give you a bag of tomatoes for five bucks, uh, first of all, they, how would they know? Right? There's a lot of things that technically you're supposed to report that people don't. That's the type of thing. You know, people give you five bucks for a bag of tomatoes. You generally don't send a letter to the government saying, I just sold a bag of tomatoes for five bucks. Uh, 
but since it's direct to consumer, it doesn't look like it falls under this bill. Now, that's the one I'm not sure about. If that's the case, this is really not as evil as it appears. Because it means that someone like Jules DeVace, who sells directly... Well, actually, no, we're going to leave that out. Now that I think about it, this would still target the DeVace. And here's the difference there. The DeVace family does not sell to the consumer. They sell to a middleman. So they would be a commercial operation, and if you don't know who the DeVaces are, this is a little family down in Southern California, microfarm, tenth of an acre, they produce 6,000 pounds of food. Look them up on YouTube, I'll give you a link from the show notes, I'll leave it at that, I don't have time to go through that all today. But it's a family that sells to these little boutique restaurants, and mostly what they sell are like salad greens and stuff like that. Now... Since they're not selling to the consumer, since they're selling to a restaurant, which is reselling to a consumer, they would fall under this. Now, what does this bill actually seem like it does? To me, what it seems like it does is it gives the... uh, the small farmer, the small livestock raiser, anybody out there that is looking to, uh, hold on, I got people hitting the brakes and cops pulling people over. They've been running safety blitzes or something here. Good job keeping us safe, guys, pulling the working man over. Anyway, uh, anybody that's running any type of operation where they're actually selling their product or livestock and it's not going directly to Joe Consumer in any way, shape, or form has got to comply with this bureaucracy now. And there's a litany of paperwork that has to be done, which is quite burdensome. It does seem like once it was done that it would be done. You maybe would have to refile it once a year, and it doesn't seem like something would destroy organic garden. I think that's a bit of a stretch. It does seem like something that's not really acceptable. Now, here's the one that bothers me. They're subject to inspection annually once a year. In fact, in the way the law is written, it's almost as it shall be done. So in other words, we would have to fund this thing. We'd have to have inspectors. So everybody that registered their little micro farm or their organic gardening concern would have to get visited once a month by a federal inspector. Which means that their vase in their own property, in their backyard, in California, would have a federal agent once a year show up and go, what are you doing? Let me see your uh, safety protocols. What's this? What's that? Now, folks, I'm sorry. We're we're starting to get a little too close to freaking Nazi Germany for me here. If I want to grow food on my own property, and there's no complaints against me, none of my suppliers have a problem, no one's become ill, I'm running a completely organic operation, I'm doing all the things that I have to do to be certified organic in the first place, I don't think I need the federal government looking over my shoulder here. And I think we need to kill this bill. And here's what I want you to do. I want people to, once a day, call all the people on this committee until you hit every one of them. There's a bunch of There's like 25 people on the committee where this bill is. Now, let me explain to you where this bill is right now. Now, if you think this is a one, and again, I don't tell you how to think. If you think it's wonderful that we're going to take all our little organic micro farms and things like that and people like the Dervais and have them investigated by the feds and have this type of power consolidated to a single agency, take away power from the states, give more power to Monsanto. By the way, the, the rep that, that sponsored this is some chick out of Connecticut. I can't remember her name right now, but her husband is a lobbyist for Monsanto. 
That should tell you all you need to. But if you think that's wonderful, don't do this. Or call them and tell them to do this. But if you agree with me, then what I'd like you to do is just start going down the list. And there's a great website called GovTrack, and it shows you every piece of legislation that's in play. Who the sponsor is, where it is, and what committee it's in. And it's in two committees right now. It's in the Agricultural and the Energy Committee. I say we start with Agriculture because that's where it's most close to home. And we call every member of this committee and say, I don't want this bill. We call their office, we email and we do whatever. One or two a day until you work the list down. Now, if 100 people do that, we're going to kill this thing. Nobody starts calling the, the committee members while a bill's in committee. That doesn't ever happen. People don't catch things this early. People don't become activists this early. And what people do when they find us, they call their rep. Well, if your rep's not on the committee, there's nothing they can do right now. All they can do is you know, tell the people they know on the committee, hey, you bring this to the floor, I ain't voting for it. And a lot of times the bill will get killed that way. So call your clown as well. But this is not a call to make to your senator's office right now. The Senate has nothing to do with this. This is in the Congress, and the Senate won't see it if it doesn't come out of committee. So let's kill this goddamn thing in committee and make it go away so that we don't have to worry about it in the future. Because once you start consolidating power, it's where's the next step, especially when the people that are behind it are in the pockets of Monsanto. And the entire Department of Agriculture is in the pockets of Monsanto and Conagra and Big Agriculture right now. And that's not from me. That's not from Alex Jones. That's not from far out of conspiracy theory land. Do you know who said that? The Secretary of Agriculture under Bill Clinton. The Secretary of Agriculture under Bill Clinton is on camera in a movie about Monsanto saying there was nothing I could do. These guys could get anything done they wanted and there was nothing I could do to stop it. This is the Secretary of Agriculture saying that Monsanto's will was more powerful than his while he was the Secretary of Agriculture, folks. They're the ones pushing this. And we got to shut this down. I really need to make sure that people understand what this is all about. There's, there's a movement by big agriculture right now to consolidate as much power and as much control as possible over the global food supply. And if you wonder where survivalism comes into this, beyond the politics, one of the biggest threats that could be done by the, the malice or the incompetence of man, which is what I started out talking about today, is our food supply. It is the thing that sustains us and keeps us alive. And we have a society now in America, and a society across the world, that is largely urbanized. Very few people even know how to grow a tomato anymore. And you may think, well, a tomato is the most uh, popular plant in America. Yeah, about 10 million people a year grow backyard gardens. And of that, about 90% of those, or 9 million people in America, grow tomatoes every year. That sounds like a lot of people. Well, there's 291 million other Americans that have no idea how to grow a flipping tomato. There's maybe 20 or 30 million that sort of know, but haven't done it forever. And there's 250 million with no clue, no desire. They don't want to. They just want to go down to the market and buy a tomato for their salad. If something puts a bubble in the food supply, a shortage bubble in the food supply, it is going to cause catastrophic consequences throughout whatever nation it's in or across the world. And every time we let individuals take greater control, their actions have a greater influence. Now, let me try to make this clear to you what I mean by that. Let's say that you live in a state that has 500 state 
Congress people, state representatives, just like we have state uh, representatives that go to Washington for us, but you live in Texas, there's 350, whatever it is, 400 state reps. Now, how much control and influence does the one state representative have? It's actually very, very little. One state rep or one state senator or one federal senator or one uh, federal rep can get very little done on their own. If, if Barney Frank had his way, we'd all be screwed. But he doesn't completely get his way. He gets on the camera a lot. He gets to make a big deal out of himself. There's a lot of things that man would like to do that he ain't getting done even through his own party. Even if they had complete control, he still isn't going to get a lot of these things done because he's a left-wing loon. So the entire concept of the government was built around one individual never having too much power. You say, well, what about the president? The president can uh, issue an executive order, and the Congress and the Senate can overturn it like that if they want to. The the, the Congress or Senate can put something through it, and the the president can veto it. So the actions all have these checks, system of checks and balances. This sounds like history class or social studies class in school. Fine, that's what it is. Well, the same thing is at play naturally in the world in just about every system. The, The food supply is extremely robust because every nation just about under the sun grows food. They have their own way of regulating it and controlling it. They have their own way of controlling how much they import and how much they export. They have their own climates and microclimates. They have their own system uh, that keeps a certain number of society uh, inside the agrarian community. I don't mean holds them captive, but makes it a, a good thing for them to be there. We do the same thing with farm incentives. In other words, we make it profitable for farmers to grow the large-scale crops, and that creates this little sub-industry of all the people that grow the small-scale crops. And then Canada takes a different approach, and Mexico takes a different approach. And there's different social classes, and different social classes choose where they participate and how they participate in this system. And with no mandated control across the globe, when one group screws something up, i.e. tomatoes and jalapenos last year contaminated with hepatitis coming out of Mexico, then the consumer simply buys their tomatoes from Canada or the United States, cuts off that supply until that problem is fixed. Now that just had, that's, you know, it's not a, a maybe, a what if, a hypothetical. That just happened last summer. Last summer we had jalapenos contaminated with salmonella, or, yeah, salmonella last year, and tomatoes contaminated with salmonella last year. At least we think that's what it was. We're really not sure. First it was the tomatoes, then it was the peppers. You know what? I didn't care. I went out in my backyard, I grabbed a jalapeno, I grabbed a tomato, I chopped the two of them up, I made pico de gallo with a little bit of cilantro and garlic added into it, and some roasted corn. It was good. I didn't care, because I'm a survivalist. But a lot of people couldn't get a jalapeno. Now you're not going to starve because you don't get a jalapeno. But it's an, it's a de- but why was it only jalapenos? It was only jalapenos because this entire system is not consolidated. Now, when you allow this consolidation, you start forcing. The food producers, not just of the United States, because first we do it here, and then we start invoking our will elsewhere across the globe. We say, well, if you want to import grain to the United States, you'll abide by the same standards that our farmers abide by, or you won't import grain to the United States. And then, of course, all the farmers stand up and cheer and go, yeah, because that keeps the field level for us. And they sell it to me, well, you wouldn't want us to bring unsafe food in. And they're going, yeah, that's right. And nobody says, well, how many people in Argentina are dying because their wheat's bad? Well, none. 
well, maybe their wheat's good. We can just let their standards that are working. Work. Yeah. No, no, no. They have to go. They have to use our herbicide, or they have to use our insecticide, or they have to use our treatment chemical. And when you start putting that kind of control into the hands of a single entity, what happens when sooner or later, because it's part of the human condition, they screw something up? They come out with a chemical that's supposed to be perfectly safe, and we find out 10 years later that people are getting cancer from it. And now it's spread throughout the entire global food system, and people panic, and nobody wants to eat the food that's growing in the ground, even though they've been eating it for nine years prior. What happens when they create a gene that says, tell this seed to kill itself in the second generation, and they say, don't worry about your seed, you'll get it from us. And I'm, now I'm driving through glass. Great. This is a wonderful day. And they say, you'll get your seed from us. And they say, we have this under control. We have a special chemical. And what we do is we spray the crops in our seed banks with this chemical. And that turns off this terminator gene. And then these crops produce seed. And they'll always be seed to reseed for next year. And that terminator gene mutates. And, no, and their chemical doesn't work anymore. You're telling me that can't happen? You're telling me that's not likely to happen sooner or later? And all of a sudden, 80% of the world is using this Monsanto grain seed, this wheat seed or this this barley seed or this corn seed, whatever it is. 80% of the food supply has become dependent on it because Monsanto has got their dream and they've got that control and they're making those trillions and trillions of dollars, which this is what this is really all about. Trillions of dollars. Trillions. In the hands of a few people. And the control that that gives them. And something goes wrong. And now that 80% of the world's grain farmer can't get seed for next year. And there is no other seed because it's been outlawed or pushed out of existence. Or there's just seed but there's just not enough. And then what happens to the food supply? See, this is the danger. This, you know, Disney image that Monsanto is trying to give themselves. We're trying to cure the world's hunger problem. I don't believe it for a second. I think they're a bunch of evil, money-grubbing scumbags. I really do. But if I suspend that, just completely throw that opinion, and it is an opinion, that's not a fact, that's my opinion, out the window, and look at this completely impartially with no prejudice against the ownership of Monsanto, I still got to say with human error, technology failures, and typical incompetence that's endemic to the human condition, sooner or later, you're going to screw up. And if I look at your track record, you have screwed up. You told people that PCBs were safe. You dumped massive amounts of it in Anniston, Alabama, and people are dying still today. You denied it. And then you said that you're proud of your decision to deny it because it protected your shareholders. If I'm looking at this like a judge, that's how I look at this. I go, so you have the propensity and the track record for screwing up. You can't have this much control over the very thing that feeds people so they do not die. But yet they're lobbying and they're, they're working to get these things done. And my fear is that this bill will come out of committee and it will get passed. That's why I want your support and your help to shut this thing down and to shut it down hard right now. Now I'm hoping the other thing that you're understanding as I'm discussing this is why I talk about gardening so much. It will be almost impossible to start showing up at people's backyards and pulling their tomato plants out of the ground for failure to comply if they're using the food for personal use. Almost impossible. 
So that's your last place that you can make a stand. And you can put food on your own plate and food on your own table. And what you barter between your neighbors is not commercial activity and it's your own business. So discuss with your neighbors putting in gardens, growing complementary crops, making exchanges, creating your own community level food banks, your own community level seed banks. These things need to be done in case we lose this battle or in case eventually we lose this war. Now I'm less afraid of losing this battle than I am losing the entire war and I do see this as a war. And I talk to my listeners on a daily basis and I try to always bring about let's not polarize. Let's not see it as our side and their side. Let's understand that there's good Democrats, there's good Republicans, and there's a lot of crappy Democrats and there's a lot of crappy Republicans. And there's very few people in high office today that are really looking out for you. They're looking out for themselves. Let's be honest about the fact that the Republicans have screwed this country up as bad as the Democrats have screwed this country up. They both get an equal share of the blame. But in this instance, you've got to take a stand. And when you take a stand, you take a side. And we have to take a side on this. And you have to decide whether you want to stand alongside companies like ConAgra and Monsanto, or you want to stand next to the small guy with two acres of ground that's figured out in this hectic world how to live a life like people lived a hundred years ago and make a living from it in a completely honorable way. And we don't have a single, we don't have a single instance that's been on the news. And you know it would be. We don't have a single instance of a small organic producer causing anybody any kind of illness, sickness, or harm. It hasn't happened. Ever. Do you realize this? We're creating a law to prevent something from happening that has never occurred. And then we have to turn and we have to ask ourselves, how long have people been growing their own food without chemical pesticides, fertilizers, and herbicides? And the answer is a very long time. A lot longer than we have with those things. Those things are, you know, 150 years old. And uh, and 50 years ago, they were used nowhere near the level they are now. But you go back 150 years, and there was nothing. The only thing you had for fertilizer was horse manure or cow manure or compost. Or you had to find fertile ground in the first place. You had to rotate your crop. You had to do all the... People have been doing this since the dawn of man. Since the first time a man looked at a bush, saw a fruit on it, pulled it off it, chewed on it, said, this is good to eat, and thought to himself... There's this thing in the middle that looks like a seed or a pit. What happens if I stick that in the ground? And he tried it and it worked. And then he said, you know what? We cleared some area that looked like this area where this thing is growing. We could plant more of them and have more of them. It's the genesis of permaculture and agriculture. And for millions of years, I believe it's millions. Some of you don't. Some of you think it's 10,000. But 10,000 years then. Man has fed himself from seed planted in the earth, safely, effectively, sustained life, and developed society and civilization around it. We do not need any more government oversight of that process than we already had. We do not need a guy running a little urban farm 
that sells to local restaurants that have their own standards for cleanliness, quality control, food control, that has never caused a problem. We don't need a federal agent showing up at his property once a year saying, show me, convince me that you're doing things the way I think you should be doing them. When that guy that shows up, what do you think the odds are that that guy knows a damn thing about running a small organic farm? What do you think there's not going to be some kind of quota? Did that guy, you have to find X amount of infractions uh, a quarter or a month or a year? You don't think he's going to have that? You don't think he's going to be? You don't think he's going to be able to come back to his boss at the end of the fourth quarter and go, "Yeah, I didn't find any infractions this quarter," without being told, "Hey, you better go find some infractions." Do you really think that's going to happen? Do you think any IRS agent out there right now is able to go through a hundred audits and come back to his boss and say, "Yeah, all these guys are legit. You know, everything worked out. They all they all were able to prove that they don't owe us any more money." Do you think that's allowed right now? Do you think it's a completely impartial process? Don't you think that something like this that leaves a lot more room for interpretation, opinion, has more room for abuse? Don't you think this has the ability to put a lot of small guys out of business? And if it does, all you have to ask yourself when you're judging anything like this, who benefits the most? Big agriculture benefits from this. And the big slaughterhouses, big livestock concerns. And if you look at the people that are for this, you'll see where the money flows from and where it flows to. So I'm asking for your help on this one. Let's shut it down. Let's call these committee members and go, hey, you guys have something in your committee right now called HR875. You're on a list right now. And we're paying attention to what you do. And if you have any aspirations higher than what you're going to do right now, you need to kill this thing. We're not happy about it. We don't want it. It better not happen. It better not come to the floor. Because even if it comes to the floor and it gets killed, gets voted down, we're still going to remember how you voted in the committee. So you better shut this thing down. Start with the committee chair. Call him. Let him know what you think and work your way down the list. Let's do that together, folks. Let's make a difference with this. And that pretty wrap, pretty much wraps up today's show. Um, I'm going to come back tomorrow. I'm going to try to uh, work for my home office tomorrow. And actually, I'm expecting to be interviewed by a reporter from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. So that's going to be cool. Might even do a little bit of video in my backyard uh, with those folks for their website. So that uh, that's really cool. And a, and a blogger named that calls himself River Walker referred her to me. So thanks, River Walker, for doing that. Also wanted to point out, Member Support Brigade is now open. Member Support Brigade is a way that you can support the show. It's completely voluntary. Uh, but the way I came up with the price point of five dollars a month is I do about twenty-five shows a month, or I'm sorry, about twenty shows a month. So at five dollars a month, you're supporting the show at a quarter an episode. If you think you got a quarter's worth out of this episode and you're not already a Member Support Brigade member, consider joining it completely voluntary I'm not charging for the show not charging for the forum however there is special members only content available you can find out about member support brigade at the website there's a link in the uh, right hand margin now to get more information and join if you choose to I uh, also want to remind everybody region 5's uh, big bug out is coming the memorial day weekend 
uh, down here in Texas, and you are welcome to come uh, no matter where you're from, and let's try to put more get-togethers like this. I will show up at as many of them as I can. By the end of this year, I'd say by the end of this summer, I'm going to have a lot more freedom to spend more time on this show because of the support of folks like you out there and where this show is beginning to head. Uh, So I'll be able to do things like that a lot more. With that, I want to point out that I was contacted by the editors from Wilderness Way Magazine. They run a separate website called Dirt Time. And through that, they do an event every year, a very large event. Uh, There's a week-long event in the San Bernardino area of California. You can get more information about it on our website. Uh, I will be there as an instructor giving a two-hour course on survival gardening. There is a litany of other instructors. I'd say it's over a dozen people. Uh, People like Ron Hood from Hood's Woods are going to be there uh, and a lot of other folks that I look forward to meeting. And I'll be giving you more information about that. But this is the end of August um, out of San Bernardino, California. This is not a free thing. I think it's $175 uh, for you and $125 for your spouse if you bring your spouse. But they're providing an awful lot. The uh, instructor value alone is huge. It looks like it's going to be a great time, and I'm deeply honored that they've invited me to uh, to come there and speak alongside of these other outstanding individuals. So uh, you might want to check that out as well. Otherwise, uh, I think that kind of wraps today's show up. Uh, keep doing the things that you're doing out there. Keep storing food. Keep you know saving money. Keep paying down that debt. Keep doing the things that make you and your family more secure and more stable no matter what happens. Remember, this isn't just about if the shit hits the fan for everybody else. This is about whether or not the shit hits the fan for you individually. Whether you show up at work tomorrow and told that you're laid off or you have a death of a family member or serious illness, there's a lot of ways that things can go wrong in your life beyond a complete collapse of our economy, uh, a major storm, uh, or a solar storm that shuts down the electrical grid or any of the other things that we worry about. Remember that order of disaster scenario probability. It starts with personal. Personal, neighborhood, regional, state, national, global. Remember that order. Remember it always starts with you. And with that thought in mind, with that thought in mind, let me remind you once again, because it starts with you, you have a greatest level of control over it. Your personal activity, your personal thoughts, your personal choices, your understanding that what you do matters is the number one thing that will keep you going, that will keep you alive, and that will provide for the people you care about and love. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.